2: Kelly
0: and Kelly
2: Previously on This Sounds Serious
3: Where is he? Where's my money? Where's my movie?
2: We know Kirk Todd defrauded a movie studio out of $5 million in 1991 when he convinced them he was making a film called Grand Casino. We had a meeting with him about Grand Casino and I loved the idea and we've explored some of the techniques he used to deceive his victims.
0: Everyone in Hollywood has an assistant. Nobody talks to each other. Vincent Carlyle was a drunk, and the only reason Kirk hired him is because he could be easily manipulated. We don't usually get a
3: trailer that early on, but I guess Kirk was excited.
2: But we still don't know why he did it or how he expected to get away with it. Ooh, there were so many rumors flying around, and only one man can answer those questions.
3: Hello, Gwen. Uh, This is Kirk, Todd.
2: And it's a man I was not expecting to hear from.
3: Obviously, you're going to have to come to me, but all the uh, visiting hours information is on the prison's website.
2: Today, visiting hours with Kirk Todd. It's this sounds serious, Grand Casino, a CastBox original. I'm driving to Maricopa Federal Prison, a minimum security facility two hours north of Los Angeles. This is where Kirk Todd has been incarcerated since the '90s, and where he has agreed to speak with me. All right, here we go. The truth is, for all the mystery surrounding Kirk and Grand Casino, his whereabouts is no mystery. While Hollywood would love you to think he's dead or disappeared, in fact, he's been in the same spot for the past 27 years. You checked in the gate. I did. Yeah, yeah. Come on. I'd been trying to get in touch with him from the moment our story began. And then he returned my call. You know, people don't
3: uh, come and visit me much these days. I almost didn't believe it when they said uh, somebody was calling for me. <laughs> I thought, you know, is this uh, a prison prank? Is somebody going to shive me or pour some shaving cream on my head? You know, it's a, it's a minimum security prison, so there's a wide variety of pranks in here.
2: And while I want to get to the bottom of the events around Grand Casino, I do realize that it may take a few visits for him to warm up to me. In fact, he had some pretty explicit instructions on how he wanted our meeting to go.
3: You know, I can't say that I've had a single visitor since my uh, mother died uh, 15 years ago. Uh, so I'm not, you know, totally comfortable with uh, chatting with people. Uh, I'd, I'd prefer if we could meet in the common area. You know, I don't, I I honestly don't think I'm ready to have a, a meeting in the conjugal visit area, if that's what you were thinking. But, you know, if you wanted to tell your friends you had a conjugal visit, that's, that's you. That's all, that's on you. Uh, I won't burst your bubble, so.
2: After months of following Kirk's story, watching old footage of him and interviewing people who knew him, it was kind of surreal to finally talk to him on the phone. I asked him whether I should be calling him Kirk, or if he goes by his real name, Jeremy Weaver. <laughs>
3: Yeah, uh, well, it's 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 Kirk, but let's just say I can be whoever you want me to be.
0: see that we over here. And
2: um, they're going to bring in the inmate in a minute here. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. And now, as I sit in a prison visiting room, I keep coming back to that phrase: "I can be whoever you want me to be." Who do I think I'm meeting? I've been so fixated on the story of Grand Casino that I may have lost sight of the fact that at the center of this story is a human being. A deeply troubled criminal, but a human nonetheless. He's a con artist, and a good one.
3: He said once that investment came through, I, was gone, I wasn't I was going to work in that mine no more.
2: He's a man who has swindled people out of their life savings against their better judgment because he has something.
3: I remember he was so charming. He'd say, let's start slow, maybe just... A $5,000 investment.
2: Some special gift, some kind of charm, a charismatic quality they can't put their finger on, but was enough to make them trust him with their money. And then he disappeared,
3: and um, so
2: did the money. But that was a long time ago. He's in his 60s now, and has spent over a third of his life in prison. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I don't know who I'm meeting. And then, there he is. He enters the room wearing orange prison scrubs. He looks older. And to be honest, nothing like he used to in the old footage I've been watching. Uh, Kirk, Hi, I'm Gwen Radford. His face is a spider web of wrinkles. His head is shaved. He looks pale and stubbly. Unlike many inmates who seem to be making use of the prison exercise facilities, Kirk seems soft and round. This man is not what I was expecting. I wasn't immediately drawn in by his effortless charm, like so many of his victims. But I will say there is something disarming about him. Well, it's uh,
1: not exactly uh, Hollywood, is it?
2: <laughs> One thing that strikes me about Kirk is his voice. He doesn't totally sound like the guy I've seen in all that footage.
1: Here's the thing about, you know, speaking voices, is that they change the older you get. I don't, I don't know if you knew that about age, <laughs> Uh, but in my case I mean I, I had so many personas when I was younger I can't even remember uh, you know who I was pretending to be uh, but this 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 what you're hearing right now what you're the sound that you're hearing coming out of my mouth is my natural voice or is it <laughs> who knows yeah, I'm just kidding it is this is this is what I sound like or maybe it isn't
2: to say he's hard to read is an understatement. He has trouble holding eye contact, he shifts in his chair, and almost like a twitch, he regularly looks over his left shoulder. I start by asking him about Grand Casino, specifically the 911 call from the screening.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I definitely uh, heard about that, um, and I, I feel bad about it. I think Jack wouldn't have had such a, a hard time if I had been there to... Talk with them, but I wasn't. So, as they say in France,
2: "Say love thee." I ask him where he was during the call.
1: You know, I don't. I don't know the exact time of the call. All I know is that I wasn't there. I was, you know, in the middle of a getaway. That's the nature of a getaway. Is that it's all-consuming. So.
2: But it's frustrating. Every time I ask him about Grand Casino, his answers are vague and evasive.
1: And yeah, well, it was it was
2: 1991.
1: I mean, it, yeah, it was so long ago. What do you remember from 1991?
2: Or he gives me a pat answer, like he's on a talk show.
1: You know, Gwen, I, I I'm proud of what I did in Hollywood.
2: No matter how I try to bring up Grand Casino, he keeps deflecting.
1: You know, it just it wasn't my finest hour. So. Let's just keep it at that.
2: And so I decide to go back further, all the way back to his childhood, back when he was known as Jeremy Weaver. I understand we're from the same part of the world. You're, you're from Wisconsin? I'm from Minnesota.
1: Great job on uh, losing the accent. You know, I <laughs> I think that goddamn accent is the reason why I became a con man. Oh, you only take a check and you want to leave the amount empty? Okay, no problem. It's hard not to... Be a con man when everybody around you sounds like a real rube. He tells me
2: his parents met in World War II.
1: My dad was actually in the Air Force, and he met my mother in Germany because she was a German spy.
2: It's hard to tell what's true and what's a story he made up. And it's hard to tell if he even knows the difference.
1: Well, that nah, she wasn't really. Nah, she, was, she just worked. She's just German.
2: He starts off telling me that growing up, he had a lot of time alone.
1: But both of them worked a lot. You know, night shift. So that meant I was home alone most nights, uh, just watching television. And you know, those early days of TV. I mean, I think that that's what informed my decision to later become a producer because I, I loved shows like Gunsmoke and, and Leave It to Beaver and Andy Griffith and and the Fandanglers. That show had a huge impact on me. The Fandanglers, modern-day Robin Hoods who steal from the rich in unexpected ways.
2: If you're not a fan of classic TV, The Fandanglers ran from 1960 to 1966, and it starred Esther Scott and Benson Hughes as a pair of kind-hearted grifters.
1: Excuse me, sir. Uh, can you help us out for a minute? Uh, sure. Uh, what do you got there? Uh, well, my wife and I have a winning lottery ticket. Uh, you can see the winning numbers right here in the newspaper.
0: Look, it's a real newspaper.
1: And it's a real lottery ticket. <laughs> Whoa, you're right. You two won $10,000. Well, and uh, the problem is we can't claim it because we owe the government some money.
0: I know. I just spend and spend and spend.
1: Esther, enough. <laughs> we could give you the lottery ticket.
0: Which is real. For
1: say five hundred dollars? Five hundred? You got yourself a deal. Oh, this will really help those kids at the orphanage.
0: that's right.
1: Esther. <laughs> what drew me to that show, The Fandanglers, was how easily the characters were able to trick people. I learned a big lesson from that show. And that is people are dumb. The average person is below average.
2: Kirk goes on to tell me that his parents divorced when he was young, and he began running with a bad group of kids.
1: I still remember the thrill of being driven home for the first time in a squad car.
2: And as a teenager in the late 60s, he went west and began running cons on the thousands of young people filling the streets of San Francisco.
1: I'll tell you that those, those hippies were dumb.
2: We heard about Kirk's childhood in episode one, but it's reassuring to have him support everything we already know. And then
1: uh, I snuck into Princeton University. Go Tigers, you know.
2: And while it's nice to have him substantiate his story, he hasn't told me anything I don't already know. The whole reason I'm here is to find out about Grand Casino. So I push him again. It's
1: actually there. So
2: do you think we could talk about Grand Casino?
1: Gwen, you come on. We're, we're just getting to know each other. So let's leave it at that.
2: And while he won't budge on that, I do start to see a different side of him. He opens up about a chapter of his life I don't know much about. Between leaving Wall Street and showing up in Hollywood, there's about a decade of Kirk Todd that's just a big question mark. I know he was in Europe, but that's about it.
1: I was in my 20s and I, I was hanging out in, a, in Ibiza um, and I was getting invited to all of these wild exclusive parties because at the time, you know, if you just told somebody that you were part of some European royal family, they, they'd invite you. And, and so I was telling people that I was part of the Belgian royal family and, and they believed me. It was It was a great con. It really was. And it was easy. And um, it was around that uh, time that that I met Helen.
2: It's strange. As Kirk is telling me this story, something changes. The poker face he's kept up since we met suddenly drops. And for the first time, he shows his cards.
1: It was love at first sight. <clears throat> Okay, so,
2: uh... Uh, are, are you okay?
1: I'm not exactly sure where that came from. <laughs> wow, Glenn, you're really uh, digging up some old ghosts here.
2: Okay. And it's all because of Helen.
1: Helen Chatham.
2: That's Bjorn Clisp, the Interpol agent we spoke to in episode one. He says that Helen was a very talented but struggling artist
3: only 22 or 23 but when she couldn't sell any of her own paintings she began forging paintings
2: by more famous artists
1: she was as talented an artist as you find anywhere in the world she she was that good i think she wanted to skip that part where you start out as a, a starving artist so instead she became a con artist but here's the thing she ended up being good at both you know, art art and con art.
2: Helen was American but she told people she was from Luxembourg.
1: Think about how genius it is to tell people that you're from Luxembourg. I mean, everybody knows it's a place but nobody knows where it is or what the people who are from there sound like. She was just a, a, a great liar. She even lied on TV once and nobody knew.
2: fake painting on a wall with masterpieces, that fake becomes a masterpiece. This is footage from a 1980 BBC documentary about art forgery. It's some of the only existing footage of Helen. She's being interviewed because she was an up-and-coming artist. Uh, So have you ever forged a painting? No, is what I would say if I hadn't forged any paintings. So, yes... I haven't forged any paintings. Or have I?
1: I'd had girlfriends before, but Helen was different. We were very much made for each other.
2: They soon married, and they began a crime spree that carried on for years around Europe.
1: And we upheld the con man code, which is to protect one another. And that's what we did.
2: He says they ran scams for years all over the continent.
1: We were selling tourists tickets to the other side of the Berlin Wall. We were convincing Swiss people that they needed uh, an American bank account. You know, you name it, we did it.
2: Together, Kirk and Helen traveled through Europe, partying with royalty, attending cultural events.
1: And defrauding some of Europe's
3: greatest museums and auction houses.
1: Going once, going twice. The painting, Three Women, Eight Breasts, by Pablo Picasso, So, She could forge anything. She really could, and that's not hyperbole. She was that good. You know, just for fun, she wanted to know if she could forge music. Well, guess what? She could. And that's how we got a song into Eurovision. tous et bienvenue à Lausanne pour le concours Eurovision de la chanson.
2: The Eurovision Song Contest. I guess you could say it's like American Idol or The Voice, but European. It's been going on for over 60 years. Every year, each country enters a song and viewers vote for a winner.
1: Helen's song was arguably one of her most masterful forgeries. It it sounded exactly like the kind of song that Finland would enter into Eurovision. It was like a tropical reggae thing, but done by the whitest people alive. Dancing up to the woman in the breeze. She says reggae music's the only one for me. Dancing up to the woman in the breeze. She says reggae! Reggae!
0: Cool!
1: There was... No real con to it. We didn't make any money from it. We were just doing it for fun, you know? In third place, Finland with Women on the Breeze.
2: This little prank they pulled got a lot of attention. And Interpol began investigating Eurovision to find out what happened. After
3: we were unable to find any evidence of fraud or corruption, an internal review was held. And when Interpol is reviewed, it is by a panel of impartial justice system experts. We are not reviewed by Pitchfork. That's the other Interpol.
2: I'm going to stop here because you're probably wondering why I'm telling you all this and what does any of it have to do with Grand Casino? Well, after the Eurovision stunt, Kirk and Helen were getting some unwanted attention from Interpol. They decided it was time to move on and head back to America. In 1982, Kirk and Helen moved to Hollywood. And that's when Kirk started on his path to Grand Casino. But things between Kirk and Helen were about to get complicated.
1: The problem was that Helen was getting too cocky.
2: That's coming up after the break.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: It was 1982. Now living in Los Angeles with no jobs and no reputation, Kirk and Helen needed to find a new source of income.
1: And in Hollywood, they were just literally giving money away. You know what I mean? On game shows. Welcome back to Fast Masters. Uh, it's time to meet our contestants, uh, our 11-time champion. Ooh, that's a big number. Uh, Kirk Todd is a security consultant from Salt Lake City, Utah. It sounds fun, Kirk. Uh, and I understand that you have a, a, an amusing story uh, about a cat. <laughs> is, that, is that right? Well, that's right, Hank. Not only am I a big fan of Fast Masters, so is my cat, Felix. Every time your show comes on, she gets up real close to the screen and starts patting your face and and purring real loud. (laughs) What a naughty kitty cat pawing at someone's face. Yikes, that'd hurt, wouldn't it? Uh, Okay, well, let's get into the game, shall we?
2: This is a con that Kirk and Helen ran together. Kirk was a contestant on this game show, Pass Masters, and he won. Not just once, but day after day for weeks, because Helen was able to get a hold of the answers in advance.
1: Helen used to hang out at the same bar as the producers, and they'd drink together, and she would use her feminine wiles. Now, this crustacean is the only animal to... Uh, Kirk! Barnacle. Oh, that is correct. Wow, good one, Kirk. Uh, Now, for another $500, Napoleon is
2: said to be quite... Five foot seven.
1: Uh, (laughs) right again, Kirk. Uh, Very quick on that buzzer. Good job.
2: In all my research about Kirk in Hollywood, this has never come up. I knew all about his early days as a producer and meeting his partner Blaine, but this is new. Kirk won 24 straight episodes of Past Masters, amassing a total of $130,000 in prize money. He and Helen also won $25,000 on a show called Young Love.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, that one. It was a game show for couples, and they'd uh, ask the woman, you know, a private question, and then see if the husband could match the answer. So what Helen and I did was we developed a a series of blinks to communicate, you know, so we'd always know each other's answer. Okay, Kirk, uh, we asked your beautiful wife, Helen, uh, where's the strangest place you two have ever made whoopee? (laughs) Kirk, we're uh, we're gonna need to have an answer here. In the the bu- in the but <laughs> Buick in the Buick. And and what did Helen say?
0: In the Buick.
1: Ah, in the Buick. <laughs> okay, that was a close one. So once we. Uh, you know, had a little money in our pocket, I I started getting interested in becoming a TV producer. And that's when I met Blaine and we started pitching shows.
2: Now, we've all heard this part before. They produced Emerald Motors for a couple of seasons, then Pike Place. But all this time, I kind of assumed Kirk was alone, but he wasn't. Helen was there too. So what was she doing?
1: Well, she became a housewife and a bored housewife. Uh, It's pretty tough, you know, going from forging Picassos to sitting around an apartment all day long in Van Nuys. Uh, That's when she got this idea for her own little project. She bought herself a, a film camera and figured, you know, why should I limit myself to forging one picture when I can forge 24 pictures a second? And that's what she did.
2: According to Kirk, Helen went from forging fine art to forging short films by famous directors.
3: Now the way art forgery works is you don't paint a fake Mona Lisa. No, that's not smart. You create a new piece of art using a deceased artist's style and materials.
2: That's Agent Warren of the FBI again. What Helen was doing was applying this idea to filmmakers. Whereas before, she would paint a fake Picasso and sell it as a newly discovered work, Now, she was doing the same thing but with movie directors. She'd make a short film in the style of Frank Capra or Cecil B. DeMille, and then try to pass it off as a recently unearthed work by that famous deceased filmmaker. And apparently, she fooled a lot of people. Movie studios and collectors paid top dollar to own these obscure films.
1: Yeah, there was one that uh, really got me nervous. You know, in the early 80s, there was rumors going around about a previously unreleased Alfred Hitchcock short, and I know this because Helen is the one who started those rumors.
2: The short film that was rumored to exist was supposedly called Iron Lung.
1: Iron Lung was the story of this polio patient who witnesses a murder uh, and can't move because they're inside this ventilator. Pretty young blonde thing has to investigate. It was very Hitchcockian.
0: Who's there? I can't see. I have to plug in this lamp.
1: Whoa, 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 lady, don't go unplugging that iron lung.
2: A lot of people thought it was an early masterpiece made by a young Alfred Hitchcock. They said it was a glimpse of his genius that was yet to be revealed.
1: But the truth is... It was Helen who made it. She hired a few non-union actors, tracked down some vintage cameras, and scratched up every single frame of the film to make it look like it was old.
2: While Kirk was rubbing elbows with the elite of the entertainment industry, Helen was treating Hollywood as the canvas for her avant-garde art project.
1: There was The Killing of Mr. Windsor, a short film supposedly made by Stanley Kubrick. Who are you? I thought you were dead. Or or I thought I was dead. This imagery is so crazy. Is that an eagle with the wings of a butterfly? It's beauty terror. Beauty terror!
2: And around this time, Kirk tells me he was getting more and more nervous.
1: The problem was that Helen was getting too cocky, and people started to realize that the short films were fake. A lot of powerful people started to look pretty foolish.
2: And that's when Kirk says that he had to make the hardest decision of his life.
1: She was still trying to be a con artist, but by then, I had gone legit. So when the police asked me if I had anything to do with these films, I said, no, it was all Helen. And by stating that, I broke the con man code, and I... I broke Helen's heart.
2: They divorced, Helen moved away, and Kirk stayed in Hollywood.
1: For the first time in my life, I didn't have to make a quick score and then move on. And I could not let Helen jeopardize that.
2: I have to admit, this is all a bit funny to me. Kirk pushed away his con artist wife so he could keep his legitimate producing career going. All the while his legitimate career was just a cover for a con of his own. He sacrificed her for Grand Casino, and Grand Casino is the whole reason I'm here. I want to know why he did it and how he expected to get away with it. But every time I bring up the subject of Grand Casino, he stonewalls me. I can see that visiting hours are almost over, and if he won't talk to me about it now, frankly, I don't see the point in coming back tomorrow. I have to ask you one more time about Grand Casino. Do you regret it? Do you, do you regret turning your back on Helen? <sighs>
1: I'm so tired, Gwen. I am tired because I keep telling people the same thing over and over again and nobody believes me. I keep trying to tell the truth, but nobody will listen. Grand Casino wasn't a con. I made that movie, Gwen. Grand Casino exists and it's out there somewhere. So take that for what it's worth.
2: Next time on This Sound Serious, the hunt for Grand Casino.